Well, I think that what uh, Sarah just shared with us uh, fits in so very well with the theme that, uh, or the series that we're just starting with. Um, we're starting a new series called Just Like Us. And like Sarah said, um, you know, when you go to these places, sometimes you have in your mind, they're almost like these mythical characters in the Bible and these people that, you know, uh, are in the Bible and are written about in the Bible, but they're, you know, they're these untouchables almost. And yet when you're suddenly in those places, you realize, oh, this is land just like here. Um, the water tastes just like here and those kind of things. And they're not just these far outreached people. And that's what we want to look at today in the series that we're starting. Um, we want to look at the people of the Bible. We want to study them. We're not going to get through all of them. And so we've just uh, handpicked a few men and women. And we want to consider um, how they are not all that different from us how they would have had to live, how they would have had to make decisions, how they would have been anxious, how they would have had to process stuff, how they would have had to wrestle through conflict, how they would have had to wrestle with themselves, and ultimately how they would have had to also wrestle with the idea of serving God and being obedient to Him. And uh, I, I look forward to this series. I, I hope that as we go through these individuals, uh, different people in the Bible, that you're going to learn from them and that you'll have a deeper appreciation for them. And also, um, that if you are struggling through an area of your own life and maybe thinking, well, I must, this must be unique to me, um, that you're going to see from many of these people in the Bible that they, they, they maybe went through things very similar and they may have even responded in a very similar way that you have responded. So we want to start today by looking at a man who's only 17 years old and his name was Joseph. Uh, and he uh, has an amazing story. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, start in Genesis chapter 37. And if you don't have your paper Bible here with you, you can go to our church app. And if you go to today's sermon, you can click the notes and the passages should be there. And you should be able to follow along. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through uh, a number of the different passages. And so you're just going to have to have your Bible open and follow along. We're staying in Genesis, I believe, the entire time. And so you'll just have to page along. And we're going to skip over some parts of the story. We're going to skip over some parts, uh, not because they don't matter, but simply because we don't have a lot of time. But we're going to start with Joseph because, quite honestly, Joseph is an interesting, interesting um, person to, to look at. But also, there aren't an awful lot of passages um, or a section of the Bible dedicated to him. He played a significant role, but when you consider someone like Moses and people like that that have way, way, way more um, passages written, um, dedicated to him, Joseph is actually a pretty easy person to study. So Joseph, really early on, 17 years old, um, something becomes very clear to him, and that was that God had a plan. God had something in store for him. Now, Joseph's father, uh, you don't really read about Jacob as, um, or Joseph's father as someone that you go to and to learn how to parent. Um, because one thing that Joseph's father did that wasn't very good is he definitely showed favoritism, and Joseph was his favorite. And so what he did to show that Joseph was his favorite, he gave Joseph a specially decorated robe. And, you know, the coat of many colors, as you have often maybe have heard of it. And, and Joseph, you know, he wore this thing and he showed it off. And this caused his brothers to hate him. In chapter 37, verse 4, it says that they could not speak a kind word to him. That's how much his own brothers despised him. And then to make matters worse, one day Joseph decides, you know, he's going to share something with his family that he had experienced. He'd had these dreams. And the first dream, he tells, is where his brothers are bowing down to him. 
Now, Joseph is the youngest at that time, and so you can imagine you know, telling your older brothers that you're going to bow down, that they're going to bow down to you. Uh, usually, I have an older brother. I just know he wouldn't have exactly been like, well, that's awesome. You know, um, I probably would have received what I rightfully deserved. But that's what Joseph does. He tells his brothers, hey, uh, you guys are going to bow down to me one day. I had this dream about you bowing down to me. Then one day he says, oh, and I had another dream. And here it, he implied that even his mother and father would come and bow down to him. And this does not go unnoticed by his family. Uh, they obviously have some issues with this, but his brothers, well, they, um, they are frustrated deeply by what he said. Now, I want you, if you have time today, to read Genesis 37 and just read the first 12 verses today. Because what I want you to notice is that in here, nowhere do you read that God sat down with Joseph and said, Hey, Joseph, I want to outline your future for you. I'm going to give you an outline of what you are going to experience. Joseph goes into this with nothing more than a couple of dreams. And he has this very clear realization that God is telling him that he's, you know, that he's going to use him. But Joseph has no idea what that looks like. Now I want to focus on that for a moment because here again I need you to understand that we are very much like Joseph. Sorry, Sarah, you're going to be my illustration today um, for all of this. So let's pick on Sarah. Uh, right now, she knows God wants to do something in her life, and that's true for all of you. But you probably don't have all the details lined out. And that's where Joseph is at. So I don't want us to read this now and hear the rest of this as if though Joseph is now already aware of all that's coming. Because he's not. He does not know what is all going to take place. He just knows that God has given him these dreams, and that God has a plan for him. He does not understand how God will carry it out. So Joseph's life is like ours. It's a day-to-day. Nothing is laid out perfectly. And yet, here's, you know, here's this man who has these dreams and who acts on them. Now, maybe not have been the smartest thing to do is to go and to share these dreams with his brothers the way he did, but it would be very obvious that I believe somewhere in Joseph's life, and this is my own assumption, somewhere in Joseph's life, in his early years, he had made a decision. He had made a decision that he was going to live to glorify God. He was going to live to glorify God. And this is an important thing for us to realize because this was a decision that he made without all the details. He kept You know, as we go through the story, if we keep our focus on this, you're going to see that all of the different things that Joseph goes through, it seems like it always points back to him being obedient to this decision. That no matter what happened in his life, he was going to glorify God. And so, as you know the story, maybe after he tells his brothers about the dreams, uh, one day they catch him out by himself. He's sent out to go and to see how his brothers are doing. And long story short, they end up selling him as a slave to a caravan that's heading to Egypt. And when he arrives in Egypt, he is sold to Potiphar, and Joseph begins to work for Potiphar as a house slave. And let's read now Genesis chapter 39, verse 5 and on. It says this, From the time he put him in charge, talking here about Potiphar, when he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the fields. 
So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, think about what we just read. Think about how Joseph got there. Think about what we know about Joseph. Think about the dreams that he had. And suddenly, this makes no sense. You would think that with somebody who so clearly, as we can now see, that God has a calling on this individual's life, Joseph would have been the one rewarded, not the slave master. And yet, here, we read that the only thing Potiphar had to concern himself with was basically chewing his food. Everything else was done by Joseph. And because it was done by Joseph, God richly blessed him. It seems reversed. And I think this is, again, something that we need to recognize, that sometimes in our lives, living in obedience, living to glorify God, is not going to result in immediate reward. Now, the Bible also tells us that Joseph was a handsome man. Potiphar's wife took notice of him. And when Joseph refused her advances, she accused him of sleeping with her. And this ends up with Joseph being thrown into prison. So jump to verse 20 of chapter 39. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the, the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all he had, had all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now again, when you really think about this, this doesn't sound like much of a reward, does it? Because really what it sounds like now is Joseph is just doing the warden's job and the warden's like, I'm good because I've got this incredible person. So when you read something like the Lord was with Joseph, you would think that that would mean that Joseph would be immediately freed from prison. While Joseph, again, we're skipping over some details, but while Joseph is able to move about the prison, one day he bumps into these two fellows. And they're deeply troubled because they both had dreams. And we find out that one of them was the cupbearer and the other one was the baker for the king. Both of them served the king. They had done something to displease the king and, or the pharaoh, and now they were thrown into, into prison. And so Joseph is able to interpret their dreams and... The dreams come true, or the, the interpretation comes true. The baker is executed, and the cupbearer gets his old job back. Now here's something I want you to recognize. Joseph then says to the cupbearer, when you are before the Pharaoh, I want you to remember me and tell the Pharaoh all about, his, all about my injustice and that I'm not guilty of anything that I've been accused of. And so the, the cupbearer gets his job back, and at the very end of chapter 40, we are told that the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. Now, I think, personal opinion, I think this was selective memory. I don't think that cupbearer is going to go before the Pharaoh right after he gets back and says, hey, by the way, thanks for bringing me back. There's a guy in the dungeon with me. Uh, he says he's innocent. I, I think the cupbearer is like, I am not taking any chances now, don't go. That's not, you know, biblical proof of that. But I don't trust the cupbearer. Mr. Cupbearer, I'm not sure about him, you know. Um, but anyway, the thing that I want us to think about for a moment is how long do you think Joseph waited before he realized that he's not going to be set free? 
Was it a week? Was it a, was it a month? Was it a couple of months? When did Joseph realize, I'm not getting out of here? Well, the Bible tells us it was two years. You see, two years passed, and now the Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody's able to interpret the dream. And guess who comes back into the picture? Mr. Cupbearer. All of a sudden, the cupbearer is like, hey, there's a chance to be the hero here. No one else can do it. And so the cupbearer swoops in and says, I know a guy. And suddenly he remembers. And then he makes this long speech about all his faults of not being able to remember. Sounds like a guy covering up for selective memory. But regardless, Pharaoh summons Joseph. Chapter 41, verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and cleaned his changed his clothes, he came before the Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said, and I'm guessing at this moment all eyes are on the cupbearer. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Let's stop right there for a moment. Can you just picture the cupbearer going like, yeah, I did that. I did that. Now, I want you for a moment again. This is, a big, this is a big moment for Joseph. He's finally brought out of this prison. He's changed. He's in nice, clean clothes. And I want you to think for a moment, what's going through the mind of Joseph at this very moment right here at the end of verse 15? I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but what was Joseph hoping the whole time would happen when the Pharaoh would find out? He was hoping that he would be set free. And just now, Joseph realizes he's not being set free. He's being used. Can you think about, for a moment, the disappointment in that? It's like, oh, this is not a rescue mission. Oh, so I didn't get cleaned up because the Pharaoh's like, hey, sorry for the injustice. Please go back to your family. Instead, it's like, hey, uh, yeah, the very thing that you used to help Mr. Cupbearer here get out of prison and, and give him hope, we want you now to actually use that again. We know it hasn't really benefited you using that gift of interpretation, but we would like you to use it again. See, Joseph has done everything right up to this point, and yet he hasn't really received any reward. So there's a few questions for us to wrestle with. Was he angry? Was he angry about the fact that he'd been betrayed for, for two years by this cupbearer? Is he glancing over at the guy and like, two years, buddy. Two years you left me in there. Now, finally... We don't know for sure. What was his attitude? Think about this. What was his attitude like towards God? You gifted me. You gave me this ability. You've been with me. And nothing has benefited me. Every time I'm obedient, someone else is blessed. And now you want me to interpret a dream? And all I know is when I interpret this dream, this Pharaoh is going to end up being blessed because of it. How was his attitude towards God? Or, I don't know if you've ever thought about, you know, whether he was all of a sudden like, you know what, I am going to make the most out of this opportunity for myself. I haven't ever, I've always just focused on what God wanted me to do. I am going to focus on myself this time. I'm going to come out of this with a win. We don't know about any of these thoughts. And this is why I think it's so important for us to realize that somewhere in Joseph's life, he must have made a decision that he was going to live to glorify God in everything. Because when you look at what he does next, I think that explains it. Look at the very next, verse 16. I 
cannot do it. Uh, just stop there for a second. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to the Pharaoh. I would love to have had at this moment a heart monitor on that cupbearer's heart. Because I have a feeling it just went up like crazy. Can you imagine? All of a sudden you're before the Pharaoh. You've been in prison. And you come out as the hero. I know a guy. He can do it. I cannot do it, Mr. Pharaoh. Anyway, you guys are not really reading this as the way I have been. So forgive me. I'll move on. But... Um, Here again, this is why I think Joseph made this decision, because look at what he does next. I cannot do it, but God, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Wow. There's a few words there if you want to underline. God give desires. Pharaoh. Nothing about Joseph. I can't. I'm out of the picture. But God can. And Pharaoh, whatever you desire, that's what God's going to give. Pharaoh is the enemy of Joseph in in, in terms, if you really want to look at it that way. So here again, I think this is an important moment for us to realize that Joseph is an individual like us, and yet he's decided that no matter what God asks of him, in that moment, God's glory is more important than his personal gain. I want you to notice the difference between just living for God and living for the glory of God. When we strive to live for the glory of God, that will mean that at times, even the things that we are asked to do, we will just do because it is for His glory and we will do them in such a way not to draw attention to ourselves or to rob God of His glory. See, many of us have a reluctant obedience when it comes to being asked to do things by God that we don't want. For a lot of us, the idea of living for God is based on it being on our terms. I will live for God if life turns out well for me. I will live for God if God does not ask me to do more than I'm willing to do. And Joseph had a very different approach. Joseph lived to glorify God in whatever situation he was in. He was obedient even when it meant disappointment. I want you to hear these words. Even when it meant disappointment when it meant false accusations, betrayal, loneliness, and injustice. Those are difficult words to swallow. Even when those happened, Joseph continued to live for the glory of God. Now, we got to keep going here. Long story short, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, and with some quick self-promotion, you clever guy, clever guy, He's like, hey, obviously I'm the smartest guy in the room. You need me, next to you, Pharaoh, of course. Uh, You need me to manage what I'm about to tell you. And so Pharaoh puts him in charge. And suddenly he has the top job in Pharaoh's palace. And here's the dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And because of God using Joseph, Egypt is prepared And then one day, while Joseph is just about going his day-to-day business, guess who arrives? Because now we're into the seven years of famine. There's no food anywhere but in Egypt. And guess who arrives? The brothers. Remember these guys? These were the ones who mocked him. These were the ones who sold him as a slave. These were the ones who wanted to kill him. And when they arrive in Egypt... Well, I'm sure you already know the story because this is how all plots go. The very first thing these guys do is bow down before Joseph, just like in his dream. 
that they didn't recognize Joseph, but he immediately recognizes them. And Genesis chapter 42, verse 9 tells us that at this moment, Joseph remembers his dream. Now, I don't want to read into this too, too much, but I wonder sometimes if in some of those difficult places, Joseph had forgotten the dream. Joseph had forgotten these dreams. Because it's interesting that Scripture mentions this, and it doesn't mention them any other times when Joseph was in the prison that Joseph remembered these dreams. So it's possible. The other thing I want us to consider, I wonder if it had not been for the memory of those dreams, if Joseph would have immediately executed his brothers. We will never know. Because after all, these brothers are at the root of all his pain. And yet, even though we're not sure what was all going on in the life of Joseph or in his mind, there's a lesson here for us. That we should never forget God's calling on our lives even when we have been betrayed and even when we have experienced because God has not forgotten. God had not forgotten about the dreams. It appears that maybe Joseph did, but in this moment, Joseph remembers his dreams. And he realizes that all this time, God has been at work. I've often heard people say to me when they're in the middle of a hard time, especially when it comes around things like forgiveness, that I could never forgive. And here Joseph, now faced with the memory of his dream and all the pain and all that's been done to him, even in this moment he chose to glorify God. And again, we'll skip over some details here, but after a long time, after testing his brothers, Joseph can no longer hide his identity from his brothers. And he reveals to them who he is. And we get a sense from Scripture that they immediately thought they were going to be killed. And in Genesis chapter 45, verse 8, Joseph says these powerful words and yet almost impossible words to understand. So, it was, so then he says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. I want to land here because there's a lot of things. There's a lot of leadership stuff that we can learn from Joseph. But I want us to stop here for a moment and look at this now through the lens of suffering. I need you to know, and I need to be careful here, and I am being careful, that's what I need you to know. But there are times when God will allow suffering in our lives to fulfill his purpose. There are times when God will allow suffering in our lives to fulfill his purpose. And I'm being careful here because I realize that I'm speaking to people who have experienced a lot of hurts. How does this make us feel about God? How does this make us understand God? What do we do with this truth that there could be times in our lives where God has allowed suffering in order to accomplish his purpose? We see it in the life of Joseph, and we must then assume that it must also happen to us because Joseph is just like us. So as Christians, most of us do not like this idea of allowing suffering in our lives or that God would allow suffering in our lives. I think many of us have this philosopher, even this theology, that because Jesus suffered, we will not suffer. And that, I think, has sometimes caused Christians to believe in a gospel that is not the true gospel. You and I will. It's not a matter of if you and I will have suffering in our lives. And when we do, we must take a moment now and say, so what does this, what does this cause us to think about God? If suffering will be part of my life, if suffering will be part of your life, what do you do with God, folks? 
And this is why I think what Joseph did is something that we need to do. You see, Joseph, it appears, has made a decision early on in his life that no matter what was going to happen, he was going to live to glorify God. So I want to give us three things that I, I trust that you will consider doing in your life. Number one, we must decide ahead of time how we will live our lives. You need to do it today. If you're in a good season right now, you need to decide in your good seasons, what am I going to do when a bad season comes? If you're in a, in a difficult place right now, you need to still decide ahead of time. Not once you're in the midst of it all, once you're like really angry, once you're really hurt, once you're really confused. You need to decide ahead of time. And if you are younger, children, teenagers, young adults, listen carefully. Decide today how you will live the rest of your lives. Not what you will do, but how you will live. Live to glorify God in everything that you do. So that's one thing that we have to do. Second thing is we must persevere during hardship. We must persevere during hardships. This is something, again, Joseph could have easily just said, you know what, enough. I did not do this to Potiphar's wife. She is accusing me. I didn't, I'm not guilty of this. I shouldn't even be in Egypt. My brothers betrayed me. I should be with my father. I'm his favorite. I have a fancy robe even to prove it. You know, and he could have gone into this and he could have just given up because of all the injustice. And yet he chose to persevere. Never give up. You will have difficulties in your life. Never give up. And then finally, this sounds very much like the first one, but I mean the second one, but the last one, we, we must hold on to hope. This is different than just persevering. Holding on to hope is the idea that there is better to come. That there is something better. And if we will not have victory here on this earth, that one day we will have victory when Jesus comes to take us home. So church, decide ahead of time how you will live your life. Choose to persevere through whatever hardship you go through and hold on to hope. God has not forgotten us. God has not abandoned us. And if you're going through a difficult time right now, do not give up to the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this life of Joseph. And as we just took a really quick look at his life today, um, we just pray that we wouldn't see him as just a, a character in the Bible, as just this figure in the Bible that we can't connect with. But Lord, that we would see him as someone that we know, someone who isn't that different from us. I pray for our young people here. I know, God, that for many of them, with what's ahead in the future, there is going to be some difficulties. And, and sometimes in our teenage years and sometimes in our adolescent years, we can, we can kind of think that life is just going to be handed to us or that we are prepared for whatever comes. And God, these are such incredible young people and such incredible young adults. So we just pray, God, that while we do not know what is to come, that we know that they can choose to live for you no matter what comes because we've seen it in the lives of people like Joseph. I pray for us as parents, I pray for grandparents, I pray for all of us that we would also, we don't know what's yet to come, but I pray that today we would decide that we will live to glorify you no matter what comes our way. So we pray for one another this morning, we pray your blessing on each one of us, and as we go from here, we thank you for the fact that you are with us wherever we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, go and enjoy this nice rainy day.